Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question, while providing real solutions from a biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Charles Roberts and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Out of the Question podcast. I'm Pastor Charles Roberts and I'm joined by my co-host, Andrea Schwartz. And today, we are going to raise a question concerning the issue of privilege. This came up in a discussion that Andrea had in one of her classes on biblical law. So, Andrea, would you like to share with us what that was all about and where we might go with this? Certainly. In today's world, we hear discussions about privilege. Most often, at least in my neck of the woods, it's about white privilege, And there is a woman who is in one of my classes who has spent the better part of her adult life in missionary situations in other continents. And she's been a student of biblical law now for a number of years. And she basically expressed to me in a heartfelt question that she sometimes feels ashamed that she's white. And she realizes that she has white privilege. And so in discussing this with her, I asked her to kind of demonstrate for me what her privilege was. I said, when you get the flu, are you sick? Yes. Was it painful for you when you gave birth to your children? Yes. I said, did you have any privilege there? She said, no. And I said, do you have to work for a living? Does your husband have to work for a living? Yes. Right. So in in unpacking this idea of her privilege, it was trying to get her to see that a lot of times we are bombarded with ideas that don't have a biblical basis. And as Christians, we have to think biblically if we're going to fulfill our call to disciple the nations. So the question behind the question, should I be ashamed of my privilege, is, is there a theology of privilege? Well, if we are going to have Holy Scripture as our one and only standard for faith and life, then we must answer that question, of course, in the positive. Yes, there is a theology of privilege. And I think another way we might say that is that the idea of privilege is an inescapable one. However, the issue is, what is the theology behind it? So we find privilege in every part of human society and culture from the earliest days. And we know, say, for example, that in the early history of God's older covenant family, God gave privileges to some that were not enjoyed by others. We know that he hated Esau but loved Jacob. And so the idea that there must be this sort of leveling of the playing field where everyone must be enjoying exactly the same privileges or advantages or lack thereof is a profoundly non-biblical idea. So on the one hand, it is a theology based on humanism, where man, and almost inevitably by means of the state, defines what is privileged or who is privileged. But the modern expressions of this we find in our culture, especially in the West, where there are ruling classes and elite people who enjoy immense privileges and yet they determine some of these kind of societal policies and issues of politics where 
this group of people deserves more privilege than you do, or you should feel guilty because you have this advantage over someone else. So therefore, we will determine what privilege looks like in our society. Along those lines, now that we identify the fact that God is creator, has the right to do whatever he wishes. So he can bless whom he wishes, and he can curse those he wishes to curse. But because he's a benevolent God who's ultimately and completely just, he has let people know in two ways in terms of what is right and what is wrong. What will bring about blessing and what will bring about cursing? The first way is that built into the fabric of our being, the knowledge of God is there. And fallen man suppresses that truth in unrighteousness, but it's still there. He still knows right and wrong. And one of the most obvious ways is that people tend to hide the things that are wrong because they know they're wrong. So if, if somebody, I don't care what culture, takes something that doesn't belong to them, they don't usually parade it around unless the society is so far advanced away from God that it relishes and loves to display its wickedness. The second way, of course, is by means of the word of God. And so God has told us, do this and you'll be blessed. So in a sense, you could say covenant faithfulness brings about the privilege of God's blessings upon your life. And the opposite is the opposite. You, you shouldn't expect God's blessing. So what counterfeits do, they come in and try to appropriate characteristics and the essence of God. So now the ruling elite, as you called it, decide which groups of people should have greater preference than others. And really and truly, it's just as religious and theological in as much as their God is man as opposed to the triune God of Scripture. And they have managed to convince people that it is an issue of fairness and equality when, in fact, the sort of privilege that they think that they've identified that needs to be done away with is simply perpetuated in a different way that supports their own theological presuppositions, which, as you said, is the supremacy of humanism and man defining himself as God and as determining what will be law and not. And typically when this is discussed, people who are considered to be privileged in an unacceptable way by the state or by the current social justice warrior types, they are told that they need to feel guilty about this sort of thing and therefore more or less turn themselves into a doormat and give up everything that they have in order to achieve this sort of utopian, equalitarian culture and society. Rushduni wrote an excellent book around this topic. It wasn't on this specifically, but it addresses it, I think, in, a, in an appropriate way called The Politics of Guilt and Pity. Uh, he, he wrote that before the current form of social justice warrior and political correctness, but it's just as relevant. And I'll try to remember to recommend this book again toward the end but this becomes then the, the challenge and the problem for those of us who seek to, however failingly we may do it, live our lives according to God's law word, is to help people understand that, listen, you're not avoiding privilege. You're simply adopting one form of it that is not supported by Holy Scripture. You've got to start somewhere. There has to be a place for you to begin to define what is privilege and who is privileged. And you're either going to start with the word of man or the word of God, and our contention is, and the, the declaration of God's holy word itself, 
is that there is only one proper place to start. There is only one meaningful place to start, and that is what God has revealed in Holy Scripture. And that is not to say that there is not injustice prevalent in our society. The problem is, especially for Christians who spend a lot of time feeling guilty, it's not that they shouldn't feel guilty, but I think sometimes they're guilty for the wrong thing. If they upheld God's law, if they did not compromise when those who hate God want to put forth another way of looking at life, the reason that there's injustice is because God's law isn't being followed. Yes. Because the people who would like us to say that Christianity is very narrow and it's misogynistic and it's racist and it's all this other thing, they're taking a caricature, their caricature, but since too few Christians really understand God's law and realize that built into the law is justice because the expression of God's character is his law, they're fighting a battle where somebody has rearranged things and they don't even know the target. I well recall in my younger days growing up here in the South, I grew up in a lower middle class white family. And I suppose there's a sense in which I had quote unquote privileges that some other people of my own background did not have. And certainly there were many people of African-American background who did not have the same opportunities I did. And I think this, all of this goes to the point that you're making is that God has given us a standard by which these things can properly be addressed. If we look at the law that he gave to the Old Covenant Church, uh, ancient Israel, he clearly described how the foreigner or the sojourner was to be treated in the land, and it was an attitude of fairness, but there were differences in terms of the standard of living, simply because of the fact that the sojourner or the foreigner was not living according to God's standards. There was nothing to prevent him from doing that. And once he did, in a faithful way, he could enjoy the privileges of being a part of the family. I you know, I like to compare the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in this same way, where the people of God's covenant family are invited to the table of the Lord, but it is a table for God's people. And think of it if you sit down to supper with your family at six o'clock, whatever time you eat, and there's a knock on the door, and it's somebody you've never seen before, and they say, you know, I was just passing through, it's uh, supper time, I thought I'd just come in and eat with your family. Well, you may be a person who would be willing to let them do that, but I think at a minimum you would think this was a rather bizarre and completely out-of-line request, and rightfully so, uh, because we recognize that sitting down and eating a meal together is a privileged time for members of the family and, and their friends. So, right. uh, as we said from the very beginning, uh, there is a theology of privilege, and it's built into the very fabric of the creation God made. And so, as we tried to sort through do I have privilege? It's a concept that if you don't have the correct starting point, you will always be on the wrong end of trying to solve something. So here's an example. Uh, I remember reading an article about a woman who was going through a checkout line and she wasn't asked to show her ID before she bought something, but then a black woman came behind her. So she observed that the cashier, she, she said, was bigoted or biased against someone who was black. And that may actually have been true. But instead of making a showdown, she said, you know what, I'll pay for her groceries. And she did. 
Now, it sent a message to the person who might have rightly been feeling like she was being unfairly treated, that someone didn't necessarily agree with the person behind the cash register, and the person behind the cash register couldn't say no because the groceries were being paid for. So we're always in a position to, when we see wrongs, to try to right them, but the way in which to right a wrong isn't to say, well, this group has been beaten down for years and years and years, and so now we're going to pick another group to beat down for years and years and years to equal the playing field. That doesn't help the first group that might have been marginalized. I was listening to an interview that was recorded in 1983. It was when the popular interviewer, Larry King, had a syndicated, nationally syndicated radio show. And he was interviewing the then president of the John Birch Society, John McManus. And it's a two-hour interview. It was fascinating hearing this discussion because uh, McManus was talking about the importance, really, of self-government and the issue of people following basic biblical principles uh, about how to interact with each other. And Larry King was fulminating and just going out of his mind to say, well, what about people who can't afford the, the schools? And what about people who don't have this? And it was clearly this thing about privilege that we're, we're discussing. And Larry King could not bring himself to understand any aspect of this unless government was involved in it. And government was the savior. And the government is the one who will make sure that all of this smooths out. And the, the point that was trying to be made to him, which I don't think ever landed, was the fact that government has a long history of trying to solve this problem of what it considers to be unfair privilege. And that history is littered with the bodies of millions and millions of people who have died at the hands of one type of government or another in this quest for this perfectly utopian society where everybody is, quote, equal and has privilege. We live in a world where there is, as you pointed out, injustice, unfairness. But the solution to those problems is a strident fidelity to God's law word and not a denial of it, because the alternative, as we have seen time and again, is a nightmare. Yes. And when you have this idea that the fact that I can have access to a car that runs well and someone else can't afford that same car, they're not hurt because I'm driving a safe car. As a matter of fact, they might be helped that I'm driving a safe car because my car might not then hit them accidentally. And so either you're going to have a mindset that speaks about a harmony of interests, which is what the Bible talks about, with God as the head and the determiner, or you're going to have a humanistic society which wants to perpetuate a conflict of interests. And so whether it's the gender wars, whether it's class warfare, whether it's skin color, it behooves those who want to control other people's lives down to whether or not they can use a plastic straw or whether or not they have to get a particular vaccination or what hours of the day they must be in a schoolroom. All these things are attempts to play God. And those atrocities that you talked about, those injustices that exist, they often come about when one institution steps outside the jurisdiction God gives it. Your uh, reference to the straws, to, to our listeners, if you're hearing this sometime after it's recorded, there's been currently in the news a great deal of 
brouhaha about at least one famous national and international coffee chain who've said they are going to stop using straws for their drinks because it's polluting the environment, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm reminded of something that happened to me a few years ago when I was living in Arizona. My wife and I were visiting a town in southern Arizona. We had spent the night, and I got up that next morning and walked up the street to a little uh, convenience store and picked up a few items for our breakfast, and the cashier checked me out, and the, the, the items were sitting there. I said, could I, could I please have a bag for this? And the cashier said, well, I'm sorry. There's a town ordinance against plastic bags, so uh, unless you brought your own, <laughs> you're out of luck. So I, I guess I wasn't privileged or whatever it may be. Listen, friends, uh, the fact is that another way that we can talk about this, and I think what's back of some of it, is the issue of, of prejudice. And uh, certain people, because there's prejudice, don't get certain privileges. What I find very interesting about the, the current concern over this matter is how selective it is. Because you, you mentioned the issue of race, of, of sex discrimination, and, and this kind of thing. The people who in our current culture seem most exercised about this matter, they seem strangely silent about what they perceive to be the same injustices in other cultures. I have known, and I considered it a privilege, if I can use the term, many people of Asian background. I've had among, among my friends people from China, from Korea, a few Japanese, and I can tell you that there is a great deal of animosity and deep-seated ancestral concept of prejudice between these various groups of people, and you find the same thing even among different tribes in Africa. These things exist. They, they may be unfortunate, but that's the way it is in our world. And the same thing with this issue of, oh, say, the treatment of homosexuals or women in some societies. Well, has anyone bothered to notice how those groups are treated in the Islamic world? I don't ever see much being said about that by the same people who are on a, a rampage to completely upend our culture to, uh, to make sure that there's absolutely nothing but a level playing field, so to speak. And I actually think that's the wrong way to argue the point that we're much better off in our discrimination than people in other places. I think the, the more important thing, and I wish I, we would see more of it, is that people were educated in terms of not only scripture as the, the way to live your life, but how to be able to separate a fallacious argument from a legitimate one. So if we're talking about how homosexuals should be treated in our society and we don't talk first and foremost in terms of what does the word of God say about that activity and that behavior, then we're going to be arguing with humanistic premises. Now, I can almost hear people saying, well, you'd get a lot of trouble right now if you just clearly just said the Bible says this and therefore we should do that. Well, it's not quite that simple. People have to be living God's word in their own lives. And then as people understand their requirements in terms of God, not so much their privilege in being a Christian, but their duty in being a Christian, then instead of making Christianity the stuff that just exists between your ears, you're talking about dominion. You're talking about influencing the culture and really fulfilling the Great Commission to disciple those around you. And for clarification, my larger point in what I said there was that this is an example of the, if not hypocrisy, then the, the faulty ways in which people who aren't starting with the groundwork of God's word 
in, interact and, and deal with these kinds of things. But you're absolutely right. This has to be our starting point. And uh, let's think about, for example, some of the ways that people would say, well, you are privileged and therefore you need to do something about that. You, you mentioned the, the conversation you were having with the class you were teaching. R- remind me, what was said there and uh, what, what was the thing that was the big sticking point for the person who said it? Well, she basically knew that there were injustices in the world. And even though, as far as I can tell, she has not perpetuated any of those injustices and has spent a good portion of her life not living high on the hog, but living sacrificially so that she and her family could fulfill the calling in terms of their missionary work. But she said that, you know, sometimes she's actually embarrassed about the fact that she's white. Which, first of all, you think about it, okay, who made you white? You didn't make yourself white. This is how God created me. I'm a woman. I'm white. Okay, I have very good friends who I don't think of as black or not black. I think of them as Christian brothers and sisters. The fact that they happen to have a particular hair color, a particular skin color, is incidental if your priorities are to do good unto all men, especially to those of the household of faith. So I have brothers and sisters that don't look like me, but we share the Holy Spirit. And we can see this this sort of thing in the writings of the New Testament. We know that in the earliest days of the post-Pentecost church, there was an effort to pool resources. And obviously, some people uh, in the accounts in the book of Acts were able to contribute more than others. But there's nothing there whatsoever to indicate to us that those people were in some bad sense more privileged than others. And I'm sure that there must have been some who were glad that there are others who were, in fact, quote-unquote privileged, because they did have more to contribute than some others. But I don't find anything in the writings of the New Testament that contradicts anything that God revealed in the Older Testament about the issue of the way to get wealth, what are standards of justice or righteousness. Right. I actually had people accusing me when I was in my homeschooling days of hurting other children because I was taking all my talent and abilities and I was using it just for my own children. They would say, think of how valuable you could be in a classroom of 30, that you're really depriving other people of Mm. your talents. And I would just look at them like, this is one of the craziest arguments I ever heard, especially since these people were not donating their time or even spending their time helping other people as well. And when you talked about the ruling elite, oftentimes the restrictions that the ruling elite puts on the citizens in general, they don't abide by themselves. So it's the privileged who are hankering about this white privilege and trying to stir people up to be in disputes with each other as opposed to noticing, wait a minute, these people are making the rules and they're not living by them. I once saw a meme posted somewhere online, and it was a photograph of all the current living and, I believe, current presidents of the United States and their spouses. And so I think it included Jimmy Carter and both the Bushes and Obama and Clinton, and this was before Donald Trump was elected. But at any rate, the caption was, it's a special club and you are not in it. (laughs) See, That's sort of the, the, the point here, that 
many people will identify with some of these individuals that are, in fact, part of the so-called ruling elite. And they will look at them as champions of doing away with um, prejudice and unequal privilege, when in fact they themselves, as you said, are the purveyors of it. There's this image that some of them have. They are for the downtrodden. Well, for example, some of the presidents and even many of the people in Congress, as I think it's properly called, the Mordor on the Potomac, Washington, D.C., they send their kids to very privileged schools, private schools. They don't go to the public schools in Washington, D.C., and suburban Virginia area. So the, the reality is very different than what uh, some of these people try to promote. But, you know, you, you mentioned this, this issue about being criticized for homeschooling on the premises that you were depriving others. Well, see, this is the ugly face of, of humanism showing its true colors because you must not violate the standards of the collective. The collective, the, the state, the nation, the people have a far greater importance than the individual or especially the family. I talked to a public school teacher just recently, and she didn't know anything about me. And she was going on and on about how she taught at a, at a public school, and the wealthy people of the area didn't send their children to the public school. Oh, no, they, they were too good for the public schools. They went to the private schools. Never dawned on her that people might want the best for their children, which, of course, would give some validity to the concerns and priorities of the family. And she was writing it off to the people who were poor were the people who went to the public schools and nobody really cared about them. She wasn't even beginning to question what job the public schools were doing. And it, it doesn't take much to find out they're not doing a very good job. And then who do they go after? Well, in the state of California, it's a regular practice to want to regulate homeschoolers and bring them into the public school umbrella of authority. So they see the privilege. They, they witness it, but they decide, well, that can't be. They're saying, because in most cases it's Christian homeschoolers that are showing tremendous ability and capability in the higher education spheres that professors can say, they can tell a homeschool students easily when they're in their classes. So instead of being embarrassed about whatever privilege we have, much better to take the advantages God has given us and use them in the spheres that he places us. And instead of apologizing, realizing that as someone who knows God's law and applies it, he wants us to be the ones who rule and lead. But we rule and lead according to his word, not according to our whim. Yes, and at the end of the day, that is the, the essential point, is that God is sovereign over all his creatures and all their actions, and that what his plan and purpose are for me, for you, for your neighbor, the person up the street, are different. And so if there is a person who finds him or herself in what we might call very difficult say, cultural or economic circumstances, then if they are, in fact, truly a member of God's covenant family, then they have the, the blessings of that relationship. And there are blessings and, and, frankly, privileges that go along with it. I mentioned one in an ecclesiastical context of being sincerely invited to the Lord's table. There are others that, you know, connections to God's covenant people uh, can help in that, in that regard for someone who needs, say, financial aid or maybe help finding a job. But the point is, is that at the end of the day, it is the individual's responsibility 
to deal with the circumstances where they find themselves and, by God's grace, seek to change those things if they need to be changed. The idea that we can just have a culture where absolutely no one is disadvantaged is, is a pipe dream. And as I indicated earlier, there's never been one example where there's been a humanistic solution to that problem, quote-unquote, that hasn't resulted in far, far worse problems. And Jesus said, you'll always have the poor among you. So if he said it, it isn't that this is an anomaly. The fact that we'll always have the poor among us should then direct us to what does God say we are to do with our resources in terms of our tithes and our offerings and really go into looking at the fact that God has left us with a whole body of law on how to receive his blessings. And instead of wondering gee, how can we right this wrong? I would go so far as to say, as we reinstitute the family as the core group, because even the church is referred to as the family of God, so we better understand the family. It isn't so much individuals who are responsible. It's individuals within the context of a family. And because statism fractures families, They naturally say, well, we have to solve this problem because, you see, no one else is there to do it after they've destroyed the institution that God created for the major work of dominion. And, of course, the state sees itself as the family. There's a scene in the motion picture Gladiator where the then reigning Caesar, Marcus Aurelius, has died, and the statement is made, our great father has passed away, or some words to that effect. And this is the way the state sees itself. The state is mama and daddy and will take care of you and decide what is right or what is wrong and who gets the privilege and who doesn't. When it all comes down to it, as you said, it's up to individual members of families to deal with these problems. And I mentioned this in a previous podcast. I'll mention it again because I think it's relevant here how um, a, a very large church in downtown Los Angeles around the early part of the 20th century had a absolutely incredible food pantry and soup kitchen going that fed hundreds and hundreds of people uh, who needed food in Los Angeles. Now, I think at that time, there really were no government programs that were doing this. It was long before the full-bore advent of what we see today with you know federal bureaucracy and state bureaucracies that have taken over all these things. And it was a tremendous success, and, and many, many people were fed by this uh, of all different different types of backgrounds and it was eventually shut down when the city decided they would allocate to themselves this responsibility and by the way you're not meeting this standard or that standard right so it's a way in which to say individual initiative family initiative has to stop and it only has to be done under our auspices we have to license you to be able to do certain things and i hope our our listeners can can see the, the the contrast because what you just described is inescapable there there is someone who is going to decide what the standard is and who gets what and it's either going to be man and his ultimate humanistic expression which is the state or god as he's given us his law and his word as the ultimate standard by which those things are judged now the interesting part is those who have espoused these liberal viewpoints are now finding tables turned on them. In my neck of the woods, Silicon Valley, we have the big Facebook, eBay, Google. And I've had the opportunity to be at a Google campus because I know some people who work at Google. And 
in its day, Google had restaurants in all of their campuses and their employees could go down and have lunch. And they could have sometimes various ethnic foods. So there was an Indian station and there might have been Chinese station and Italian station. And they could even invite their families in. And in some cases, I think it probably served to keep people working longer hours because not only did they have food there, they also had dry cleaning services. In San Francisco, the Board of Supervisors has determined that these businesses can no longer do that because local restaurants are suffering because not many people who have a restaurant and around these campuses, they don't have a lot of business at lunchtime. So now they're going to outlaw these corporations from providing food for their employees, which will force them to go out. Now, what's the bottom line here? Well, the bottom line is they're not getting tax dollars from Facebook, Google, or whatever that people would have to pay when they go to a restaurant. So this is all about money. It's not about we really care about this restaurant owner. But the interesting part is people are willing to extract privilege when it serves them, and they rarely like it when it's going to somebody else. And so if we're going to get the larceny out of our own heart that says, I want to benefit when I can, as opposed to I don't want you to benefit ever, and, and start really looking at, is the way I'm living, is this in terms of God's ordinance, or am I basically going to the state to serve my needs? And I think that if we look at our privilege, it is to be members of the body of Christ and to further the kingdom of God, a lot of things will fall into place because didn't Jesus say, seek first the kingdom of God and then everything else will be added unto you. So that's got to be our priority, recognizing what a privilege it is to be a member of the body of Christ. And I cannot think of a better note on which to wind up our discussion today on this very interesting and highly relevant topic of the issue of privilege and what it's all about and whether or not there is a theology to it. So as we do that, as we try to do on each of our podcast. Uh, Andrea, are there any resources that you would recommend to our listeners who might want to pursue this further? Well, there's that little pamphlet that really is the introduction to the Institutes of Biblical Law, Volume 1, that's entitled Faith and Obedience. And there you will see laid out the starting point in terms of how to be on the right side of God and how to maximize the privilege you have of being born again. Thank you. And I mentioned earlier the uh, the really remarkable book that Rush Thuny wrote uh, some years ago called The Politics of Guilt and Pity, available from the Chalcedon Foundation, the store online. I highly recommend it to our listeners for uh, a fairly extensive examination of this and other topics related to it. I would also recommend the audio tape, uh, one of the easy chair tapes that you can find and, and listen to online at chalcedon.edu. If you'll just go to the website and type in in the search field the word privilege, you will pull up the audio message with that one-word title, and you'll, you can listen to a discussion that Dr. Rushdoony had with Otto Scott and Mark and a number of other people. That's dealing with a little bit different aspect of what we discussed, but it's still nevertheless relevant to this discussion today. All right. Well, until next time, Charles, listeners, want to contact us? 
outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com, and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, visit www.kingdomdrivenfamily.com.